Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see all of you. One announcement before we go into the sermon. So this is the book that I'll be reading with the young man. I just want to remind you this. This coming Saturday morning, I'll be meeting with them. I've had a number of other uh, young men say that they want to join the group too, which has been a blessing to me. And I, I just want to say that I, God has given me a real enthusiasm about meeting with these young guys. And so we're going to be talking about purity. You need to decide whether you want your sons to come, but it'll be pretty transparent conversations. Um, we'll read a chapter each week and then come and talk about it. And so I'm, I'm, uh, someone told me one time, if you, want to make, if you want to change the future, invest in young men. And I thought maybe that was good counsel. So I am looking forward to that opportunity. The title of this morning's sermon is When Our Bodies Waste Away. If you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 4, preaching a few sermons about our bodies breaking down as we get older, one of the realities of living in a fallen world. Let me go ahead and open us in prayer. Father, we can thank you for our bodies breaking down because they are reminders that this is not our home, and they are reminders of the plague, uh, the curse, the sin that uh, brings death. Um, So we are thankful then for the redemption that we have in Christ, and I pray that as each of us uh, experience the, the breakdown of our bodies, that it will give us a longing for the eternal bodies you would give us, that uh, we will be in the glorified ones that we will have to worship you. And use me as your vessel, Lord, to encourage your people regarding this truth. It can be so difficult, especially for people that experience pain. All of us experience injuries. Some, some experience physical pain more than others. I pray especially for them, some of the people that I've been communicating with even recently who might be tuning in because they couldn't even make it to church because they're in so much pain, Lord. And so I do pray that this would minister to them, but all of us uh, have to experience a breakdown of our bodies as we head toward the end of our lives on this side of heaven. And so the truths that you want revealed, I pray you would uh, just speak those through me, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been preaching a few sermons about our bodies breaking down as we get older because I spent a few weeks in bed, and I said that about four weeks that I thought God was teaching me different things or revealing different things, and I started journaling them and thought that it would uh, hopefully be a blessing to you if I was to share them with you. Now, last week, I did not talk too much about the trials that I've experienced, but I plan to this morning, and I need to ask one very important favor before we begin. I was hesitant to share much about myself because I was concerned that it might communicate that I think what I have experienced is particularly severe or, or terrible, which I don't, think it, I don't think it has been. And probably even my greater concern was that some people might think that I'm communicating what I have experienced or suffered is worse than what other people have suffered, and I definitely don't think that's the truth. I can actually contrast what I have experienced with what other people have experienced or are experiencing and felt very thankful that what I went through was not that bad. And so I'm trusting all of you to believe me when I say that and not think that when I'm talking about any of the suffering that I went through that uh, I'm doing it for any, any other reason than, than this, that I believe God allowed some trials in my life recently. I learned some things that I hope could be a blessing to you, and that's it. Please don't look into it and think that the, the suffering was particularly severe for me. It just did remind me that our bodies break down, and it's something that all of us are experiencing uh, or will experience. Some of you young people might not be yet, but you will. And so I think there's application for all of us. God used these things for my good, and so I hope that it might be uh, of help to you as well. 
this chapter, if you did turn to 2 Corinthians 4, contains the verses that probably came to mind for me most, even more than those verses we looked at last week in Ecclesiastes 12. So if you're in second, we're going to look at these verses. We'll start them this morning. We'll not finish them. We'll continue with them next week. Go ahead and look with me at verse 16. Paul says, we don't lose heart even though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal and you can see in verse 16 paul says the outer self some other translations say outward man or outer person and that's just a biblical way to refer to our physical bodies which paul says are uh, wasting away or breaking down or as we looked at last week in ecclesiastes 12 solomon had that uh, very unique way of discussing getting older and our bodies breaking down other translations instead of saying wasting away new king james says perishing literally our physical bodies are dying or perishing or the nasb says decaying that's another way to look at what's happening with our physical bodies before they return to the ground dust to dust and this brings us to lesson one when when our bodies waste away less than one god is taking things from us when our bodies waste away less than one god is taking things from us preached on trials different times before i believe i've covered most of the most well-known or familiar verses about trials in james and in peter and romans but over the last few weeks i developed a different view of trials this was something that i had not considered before that i might invite you to consider that when we go through trials isn't god basically taking something away from us if you think about job i mean what did god take away from job through his trials he lost almost everything he lost his animals he lost his servants he lost his house he lost his children and that was only what it was only day one right day two god allowed satan to take away what his health his his comfort his sleep everything physically that could go wrong with someone seemed to go wrong with him and then how did job describe what happened what did he say job 120 naked i came from my mother's womb or i came into this world with nothing and naked shall i return the lord gives and what the lord has taken away the lord takes away blessed be the name of the lord and so job understood through his trials that what was happening was god was taking things away from him and i'd like to invite you to consider trials that way too because this is what they do in our lives trials take away perhaps finances from us trials can take away our jobs trials take away our health uh, trials can take away our comfort trials can take away our sleep trials can take away they can take away our peace that's one thing we can through christ strive to prevent from happening trials can take away our ability to do certain things trials can take away things we completely take for granted walking standing sitting hearing listening i know at least one person in our congregation i suspect all of you take your sight for granted we know don mckay would be would feel particularly blessed to have his sight restored that was one thing that a, a trial took from him trials can take loved ones from us one of the worst trials to experience is the loss of a loved one and then trials themselves can take away our lives listen to what happened with david we don't know exactly how old he was in this chapter but his body was breaking down as we're talking about or his body was wasting away he was experiencing that decaying that second corinthians 4 describes 
And as a result, he ended up losing something. So he goes out to battle in 2 Samuel 21. This is 10 chapters after 2 Samuel 11. And so there's this interesting reversal that took place with David. In 2 Samuel 11, that's when he committed his sins with Bathsheba, when he failed to go to battle when he should have. Well, you jump forward 10 chapters. David has learned his lesson, but now he goes to battle when he shouldn't have. So chapter 11, he goes to battle. He doesn't go to battle when he should have. And then chapter 21, he goes to battle when he shouldn't have. And he goes to this battle, and there happens to be a relative, perhaps uh, the brother of Goliath who's there. And you can imagine this man despises as well as the other giants do David because of him uh, killing Goliath. So 2 Samuel 21, verse 15, it says there's war again between the Philistines and between Israel. And David went down with his, together with his other servants, and they, including David, they fought against the Philistines. And then here it is, David grew weary, tired, fatigued, his body's breaking down. And Ishbibinab, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, and who was armed with a new sword, because he came out to this battle, he's, he's equipped with a new sword because he wants to kill David. It says, to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. And then David's men said to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. So what happened was David went out to battle, as he had done countless times before, Few men in, in all of history could consider themselves to be uh, warriors like or men of battle like David was. And he goes out, and what was working? Probably his mind. His, his mind could tell his body to do the things that his body had always done countless times before, but his body's not responding like it used to. And for some of us, we can resonate with that, right? Your, your mind can tell your body to do the things that you have done so many times before, and your body's just not doing it. There were times I'd wake up in the morning, and it was like, I'm going to get out of bed, and I'm going to stand up like I've done thousands of times before. I'd get up, I'd stand up, and then I'd collapse back into bed because <laughs> the pain is so severe. And so your, your mind tells your body to do it. You can't do it. David gets a little old. So what did he lose? He lost his ability to fight. He lost his ability to go to battle. He gets older. Now he's, now he's 70, which uh, in the ancient world, in the Old Testament, wasn't particularly old, but David is approaching the end of his life at 70. And 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, it says, David's old advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. So you get older, your circulation uh, is failing, or your, your, body, your blood doesn't circulate like you used to. And so David can't stay warm. There's a gentleman, he was older, he's part of our home fellowship when we were in California. And he asked us one time, he said, I really like coming to your home fellowship, but it would be a blessing if I could park in the driveway instead of having to park in the street. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, I'm just so cold. You know, my circulation's so bad. He always had these gloves on. And so, uh, you know, that's something else. You just, we don't think about it. You happen to lose your ability to stay warm. Now, I'm gonna, I realize I'm gonna talk a lot about weightlifting. And I need you to trust me that I'm not doing so because I particularly enjoy talking about weightlifting, but because I have an important point to make at the end of the sermon, and the only way that sermon's going to make much sense is if you understand my history or my background with, with bodybuilding, which is something p prior to pastoring, I, I had been uh, experienced an amount of success with it. So, some people can tell you horror stories. I know we don't have a lot of kids, that, it seems, or young people that go off to college for some number of years and have roommates, but for many people, 
like me who experienced that, they can tell you horror stories about roommates they had in college. Fortunately, all the roommates I had were, were pretty wonderful, good friends, and we got, we got along very well. The one roommate I want to tell you about was during my freshman year, uh, Bill Miller. And if I could describe Bill with three words, it'd be smart. He was an engineer, probably kind of bordered on brilliant. Second, he was very kind and friendly. I can't imagine anyone ever having a problem with him. And then third thing, which is the most obvious thing when you first see him, is muscular. He was a very huge, muscular guy. And I know this doesn't begin as the most spiritually sounding story, but again, there will be a point to this. And so he, he, you know, I looked at him and I wanted to look like that. And so he's the one who taught me all about bodybuilding and, and fitness and nutrition and so forth. And so this is when my bodybuilding journey began. And journey is really code for obsession, right? So even after I became a Christian, this obsession didn't really change. I was a school teacher for most of my Christian life until pastoring. And I'd have summers off. I'd try to teach summer school but even then, to attract teachers to teach summer school, they leave, you know, a few weeks at the end of summer where you're still off, where I literally had nothing to do. And I wanted to take mission trips. And just to give you an idea of how bad my obsession was with bodybuilding, can you guess what my main concern was with a mission trip? They're, they might not have a gym, right? You know, and how am I going to get my meals in? Am I going to be able to get in, bring my protein powder, enough of it, on the plane? And uh, if I schedule my recovery week, perhaps then I can take the mission trip during my recovery week, but then there's still the chance that I won't be able to, you know, eat as well or as much as I should, and then, you know, I'm going to lose all my muscle. There was a friend of mine, she went on this mission trip to China, and at this time in my life, everyone knew that I was pretty obsessed with bodybuilding, everyone close to me. And she came back from China, and we were talking, and she said you know, it's really, really difficult to get meat in China. It's nothing like the United States. And so immediately I'm like, okay, well, if I ever take a mission trip, I'm not taking one to China <laughs> because I will not be able to meet all of my protein requirements and then all my muscle will, will atrophy. I was going over this with Katie. There's a whole bunch of different um, stories I could share about my obsession. These are the two that Katie asked me to, to share that will give you some window into my uh, addiction. So when we, we went to high school together, but when we, after high school, when we started our, started our relationship, we were going to go out on our first date, and I'd forgotten about this, but Katie reminded me that we actually went to the gym first before we went to dinner. And so I guess you guess our first date was to the gym. Is that correct? And you still married me anyway. So second story she reminded me of, there's this older sweet woman in our church and she invited us to this very fancy Christmas dinner. You know, everyone's going to get dressed up that's at her house. Well, when you're super ad addicted to bodybuilding, your biggest concern whenever people invite you to dinner or even whenever you go out is how you're going to get in all of your protein or your creatine or any of your supplements. And so what I would do is frequently I'd have like these plastic bags of this protein powder. And if people, you know, weren't serving enough meat at their meal, then I would just try to sneak into the bathroom and put protein shake together real quick and, you know, put whatever else needed to be in a creatine and glutamine and then drink that. Well, I went to her house and I was concerned that she wasn't going to have all the meat or protein she should at this meal. And I was correct. She didn't. And, but I had come prepared. You know, I had this chicken breast. And so we're all sitting there at the table, and it's very nice, and it's all decorated. And I have this chicken breast in my lap, and I'm pulling it apart. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm putting the small, the pieces of it in my mouth super subtly so nobody can notice because of how important it is, you know, 
to, to have, and you, I got my meals all scheduled that day. Okay, my, okay, I'll have my fourth or my fifth meal when we go out to her house for this dinner. And so, okay, I got this chicken breast and I'm pulling it apart. Well, she happens to notice and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, and she's probably in her 70s or something. And I'm like, well, you know, I actually, I need more protein. She was so offended and upset. I mean, she could not believe that I brought this, this uh, apparently she wasn't that concerned about my bodybuilding efforts, so I could have been offended too. So basically, for my freshman year of college, I pretty much worked out uh, religiously for the next 15 or 20 years. You know, we, weeks didn't go by where I didn't work out. We'd go on family vacations, make sure there's a, you know, even before going on the family vacation, whether with Katie's family or my own, I'm on the internet and I'm looking for the local gym there so that I can go, even working out for my first few years that I was here. And here's why I'm telling you that. I feel like God took that from me. I feel like this was something in my life that was an obsession I shared all that with you, and you were very patient listening, just to be able to make this point, that I believe God reached into my life, and through degenerative <laughs> disc disease, he has removed my ability to, wait, to lift weights. They're not, the weights you're going to be able to lift are not going to be very heavy when you have degenerative disc disease. But when our bodies waste away, even though God is taking things, there are still other blessings that we need to be looking for and focusing on, and this brings us to lesson two. When our bodies waste away, lesson two, look for blessings. When you feel like your body is wasting away, it is very easy to focus on the physical. It's very unpleasant to think about your body decaying because you're basically thinking about approaching death. There are reasons that people experience uh, midlife crises. Well, what's important is even though there's this physical thing happening with our bodies, we need to be, instead of focusing on the suffering or the trial or the difficulty, we need to be focusing on the blessings that God is still allowing us to have during this time. When we were going over the sermon, Katie felt a particularly strong burden for the women or the, the, who were pregnant or having babies and wanted to pass something along because you know, I have some familiarity with the difficulty that women experience just from being married to Katie and watching what happens with her, but at our church, it's, and I'm very thankful that this is the case. People come in and they regularly point out how many children we have, and that's a wonderful thing. You've, you've, some, some of you probably went into a church and didn't see children, and that's a particularly alarming thing. So we're so thankful to be able to have all the children we have and to have the mothers who are committed to having them and to have women like Mary that are committed to delivering them, right, Mary, it was tremendous what you've done in that respect. Well, we keep this list of all the pregnant women, and it always seems to hover around the same number. You know, Jill had a baby, and my suspicion is pretty soon we'll probably be announcing another pregnancy. And so with this on, on Katie's mind about the difficulty and suffering some women experience, she wanted to pass, the, including when they're pregnant or including when they experience the postpartum after, she wanted to pass this along, and she said, you may feel as though your body is wasting away, but try not to focus on that. Focus on the blessing and gift God gives with pregnancy. I had 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18 in our bathroom because I was so sick during pregnancy. She spent so much time in there, and she wanted to go in and see those verses. I was comforted that even though I felt like I was wasting away, God was doing a mighty work in my body, creating an eternal soul recognizing this filled my trial with hope. It's one of the things Katie and I have regularly talked about during pregnancy is that God is bringing an eternal being into existence 
through her, through her pregnancy, taking part of me, taking part of Katie, putting us together, and bringing an infinite eternal being into existence. What a tremendous truth or blessing to consider while struggling through that pain associated with pregnancy. Now, this is one other point in the sermon where I need to ask you to be patient with me. There will be a point. I'm going to discuss the sum of, this isn't even all of them, this is probably half of them because I already felt like it might start to feel like it's dragging on, as I'm discussing the blessings that came to mind for me when I was in bed over those weeks. And I, would just, want you, I just want to ask you to, under, to appreciate or believe that I am sharing all these blessings to make a point later. I'm going to read them largely as I wrote them down. So one of the first blessings I noticed was that I was still able to do many things. You, you would think that when you're lying flat on your back, I mean, I couldn't even lie on my side. Being so incapacitated, um, you know, that your, your life feel, can feel somewhat empty, but it, that wasn't the case. I could read. I could study. I could respond to emails. I could pray. I could make phone calls. When I improved enough to stand up, and walk, I went down to my office to get some commentaries, and I happened to go down there when Randy was building some shelves. I re- I've received uh, this wonderful remodel in my office. A pastor can never have too many books, right? And so when Pastor Nathan received the library from someone, what you guys saw in there was after I had already picked clean, I'm selfish, all of the commentaries that I want from that probably three or four sets of 10 to 20 commentaries each, but I didn't have all the room for them. So Randy's building these shelves in my office, and I walk in and I see him bent down working on those shelves, and my immediate thought was, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. But I didn't think of that as a curse. I didn't think of it like, oh, I can't do that. This is so terrible. What I thought was, I can't do that, but I don't have to. I'm very fortunate that God didn't put me in construction or I'm not a pilot who has to sit down all the, day, all t- all the time. I, I have a profession where for the mo- for I can be very productive and efficient, basically even if I can't sit down much, standing and walking. I was concerned if I was still an elementary school teacher, I probably wouldn't be able to do it, at least not when I have flare-ups. I definitely couldn't be an armor o- army officer anymore, although I did tell Katie I could probably be an Air Force officer. <laughs> the next blessing sometimes i think we forget this i know i do how fortunate we are to live not just where we do but when we do i could literally receive medication that within 15 to 20 minutes could take away excruciating pain that's tremendous and there are people in parts of the world today who just are forced to suffer, but, and that was the case for most people throughout all of human history. I mean, do you consider how fortunate we are, how blessed we are to have the, the uh, medical technology that's available to us, the doctors who can help us? And I don't, I don't want to use drugs. I try the very best I can to avoid them as much as possible, but there were some times where the pain was excruciating, and the most I had to put up with it was, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, and we can forget just how blessed we are. The next blessing, I felt blessed by the doctors that God allowed me to have. When you're, thank- when you're really suffering, you feel thankful for those people who can provide some, who seem to be able to help or provide some comfort, and for me, that was those doctors, and each one of them I, I thought was excellent at the Vancouver Clinic, and I would tell them, 
because you can't always preach the gospel to people. That it, it would it'd be a little awkward at times when someone's talking about your sciatica to just start preaching Christ to them. But you can do some things. You can say something like, I really thank God for you. I mean, that's what I would tell these doctors when, when there was an opportunity. I'd say, I just want you to know, I'm, I really have thanked God for you that he's brought you into my life to be able to help me. And there was one gentleman that I said that to, and Katie was with me, and he became visibly touched when I told him that I was thanking God for, for the opportunity to be able to work with him. I'll tell you about another trial I experienced. This somewhat became a blessing, and this trial took place earlier this year. So has anyone heard of dystonia before? Dystonia? I hadn't heard of it. It's the abnormal and involuntary contraction of certain muscles in your body. So one individual who had dystonia was a guitarist, a famous guitarist. You can read about him online. And once he developed dystonia in one hand, he had to switch hands and relearn the guitar to play it the other way. But there's another guy that was a golfer, and every time that he'd get ready to putt, he had, a dis- he had dystonia, and he'd hit the ball too hard and miss the, miss the cup. Well, I developed dystonia in my left hand. And so what that means is my, my left hand contracts, and I can no longer type. And it came on very quickly. So I would try to type and to, to extend my hand. There were, literally, I'd be at my computer, and I'd be contorting my whole body to get my, le- my fingers to be out straight so that I could type. I would feel a cramping that would go up my arm and shoulder and last like the rest of the day. I'd be leaning over like this to try to get my fingers to be out to type. I went to the, to the doctor. They ran all these nerve tests. They started putting me through this physical therapy and having me doing all these exercises so that I could supposedly overcome this and be able to type. Interesting things like you put a mirror. I was supposed to type all day with my right hand. And in your mind, your mind sees your right hand reflected on this mirror and thinks that it's your left hand. And so then hopefully the nerves can be retrained so that your brain allows your left hand to type. And so they give me all these different exercises, but it didn't, it didn't seem to me like it was working. Now, they would probably say that I wasn't doing the exercises as frequently as I should do them, and, and that would be correct. But I don't know whether this sounds like... Katie actually told me she thought this was a bigger trial than the sciatica, to be unable to type, just because that's most of my life is spent uh, behind a computer. And so I ended up learning dictation or developing, um, buying a dictation program and now spending most of my interaction with my computer through dictation. And the whole reason I'm telling you that is if that hadn't happened when I was forced to lie in bed, I don't think I'm pro to cramped, you know, my wrist to try to type while I'm lying down. But there were times when I was lying in bed where I could basically type very quickly through dictation. And I thank God and said, well, you know, it's wonderful that I learned dictation prior to the sciatica issue so that while I'm lying down, I can still be productive and type. So if you come in my office, this is one of the interesting things. If you come in my office, you're going to hear me say, go to sleep, go to sleep. Go to sleep is me telling the dictation program to stop working, you know, and then you have to tell it to wake up again. Next blessing. When I was able to walk again and stand up, guess what I ended up having an appreciation for? (laughs) Being able to walk and being able to stand up because of the number of things that we take for granted. Sight, hearing, mobility, comfort. You lose those things, and if you're fortunate enough to have them return, you end up feeling very thankful. The next blessing, when other people experience trials, that's an opportunity for us to love them, right? When we experience trials, what's that an opportunity for? To be loved or for people to love us, and that was one blessing over the last few weeks. I felt very loved by my church family, there were text messages, there were emails, 
There were people bringing food to us, sending cards. There were people repeatedly telling me that they were praying for me or praying for us because they knew that it was a burden on Katie too. And we just felt very, very loved. So I felt very thankful to, to have a church family or to have this church family in particular. The next blessing, I was part of a Zoom call and there was a woman on the call who lived in Honduras. We're so insulated in the United States and we're so somewhat pampered, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but the opulence that we experience is extraordinary compared to what people, especially in third world countries, experience. And there was a storm, which maybe some of you saw that had hit Honduras. And I was talking to this woman, or I wasn't talking to this woman, they took prayer requests at the end of the Zoom call, and she was just sharing about what life was like for these people. She said, you're just walking down the road and there's all these homeless, displaced people who have lost everything. And it's cold. It's wet. These people don't have clothes. They don't have food. And when this woman was talking to me, she didn't talk about it the way that I would talk about it. I would talk about it like it's the end of the world. She just talked about it like this is what's happening. This is what we're experiencing now because they, they live, they're so destitute or they're so, they live in so much poverty compared to us. Now, here's the point. I was listening to this while I'm lying in my comfortable bed, while I'm in my warm house, while I'm receiving first-rate medical attention, while I'm being waited on by my wife, while I'm eating good food. It's things like that that really put things in perspective for us. The next blessing, when my back goes out, it's the darkest season of my life because I can't do anything, I'm in pain, but it only lasts for two or three days. If you were to tell me that that same thing was going to happen, but about 10 times longer, then I would have expected to be, to be filled maybe with despair or to experience an even darker time. But here's what's interesting. I felt fairly encouraged when, when I was going through this. And I believe it's a good example of God's grace being sufficient for us. You often, you'll look at a situation or a trial that someone's experiencing, and you'll say something like, I can't imagine how bad that is. I don't know what I would do if I was going through that. And that's true, but that's because you haven't been given the, ga- the grace to go through it. And so if I was to imagine what it would have been like being in bed in pain for four weeks, I would have thought it had been terrible, but that's only because God hadn't given me the grace. God doesn't give us grace for our what? Imaginations. So the things that we think about We haven't been given the grace to endure them yet, but when we do, I just thought, wow, this is a wonderful example of God's grace where I feel much better, much more encouraged, much more peace and joy than I would have expected. The next blessing, this might be something that only the fathers are going to be able to appreciate, but all of us want to be strong. I don't necessarily mean be bodybuilders, but strong and healthy for our families and for our sons in particular. Any father does not want to be weak and helpless and super vulnerable in front of his children. But that's what I looked like for a few weeks, and one of the blessings was just how kind my kids were to me. They were regularly coming to the room. They were very gentle with me. They were regularly saying how sorry they were. They would pray for me. They would ask me if I need anything. They came to the room, and there were some very wonderful moments with them just lying in bed with them very tenderly lying near me, trying, not, trying to make sure that they didn't hurt me, just coming to, in to say that they wanted to see how I was doing. Johnny was my water boy. He was always bringing me water. I was probably the most hydrated I've been in my life. He'd come in and say, say, hey, do you need any more water? 
And that was going really well until he told me he needed a day off. <laughs> I had no idea that it was so trying for him bringing me water, but hey, that was fine. He did a great job, and, and if he needed a day off, you know, God, gives, God even gives a Sabbath. So I could say the same thing about Katie. You know, husbands want to look strong for their wives. No husband wants to be com- completely incapacitated in bed. And it was a season that for us could have been very trying because, you know, there was a season some years ago where we were both going through something difficult. And I think it hurt our marriage when we just felt like we didn't have much left for each other. But I knew Katie was taking care of our house, taking care of our children, taking care of me. She did, a, did an amazing job. But there were many moments that we reflected uh, to each other that we didn't, that it was some of the sweetest, probably the sweetest season we've had relationally, that we, we had never felt so close to each other before. Um, it was just her regularly coming in and, and caring for me, and, and it, I feel like it did, uh, didn't amount to strengthen our relationship. It was really tremendous, and my whole point was, it was like, thank you, God, for this blessing to this strengthen our marriage instead of the other way around. She'd give me these massages every day, and the massages were going really well until one night we almost had to call an ambulance because of the pain. So then we stopped the massages, but I, Katie, we kind of joked that we could give Katie a business card that says massages that are so good you'll have to call 911. So, all right, I have a whole other list. I put them in the of blessings that I put in the end notes for this sermon just so that I wouldn't forget them. I'm not going to share anymore, but you could say this, and you, and you could say this honestly. Well, Pastor Scott, after listening to you share all those blessings, it doesn't sound like your trial was that bad. But that's the point. That's the point I'm trying to make, and I feel like I could go on. Once you start thinking about the blessings, the trial doesn't seem that bad. And this brings us to lesson three. Give thanks for the blessings. When our bodies waste away, give thanks for the blessings. I could have went on and on with other blessings that I experienced during those weeks. And as I wrote them down or recorded them, it caused me to feel like the trial was not, or my body wasting away wasn't that bad. And this is like step two. So step one is you look for those blessings when your body is wasting away. And then step two is you give thanks for those blessings when your body is wasting away. You, you praise God. And I think you'll be surprised by two things if you do this. So if you do these two things, you look for the blessings, and then you give thanks for those blessings, you'll be surprised by two things. First, you will be surprised by the number of blessings you can come up with. You will be surprised by the number of blessings you find, even during what might seem like a particularly dark time. And then the second thing is you give thanks to God for those blessings, and you praise Him, And then I think you'll be pleasantly surprised to see that that particularly dark time doesn't seem as dark. And I want to be clear about something. I'm not sharing this counsel or preaching this to you because I think it's good advice, although I do think it's good advice, but that's not why I'm preaching it to you. I'm not preaching this. I'm sure a psychologist could come and even agree with what I'm saying, but I'm not sharing this because I think the world or a psychologist would agree with it. You come to this church, and, and I think I know why, and I'm very thankful for it, because you want to hear God's Word. You don't come here because you want to hear my thoughts or my counsel or what Pastor Scott thinks is best. And so because of that, that's why I'm preaching this to you. It's not because I think it's good advice. It's because I, it's what God's Word says. 
God's Word tells you to do this. I didn't come up with this. This is the prescription in God's Word for any trials or circumstances you're going through. It is completely biblical to tell people to give, to find blessings and give thanks for them while they're suffering. There are many verses I could give you. Here's just three of them. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, including even your body wasting away, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, including your body wasting away, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Ephesians 5.20 giving thanks always and for everything, including your body wasting away to God. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do you think God wants us to give thanks no matter what we're experiencing? Why does God want us to praise him for blessings or praise him for our circumstances regardless of what we're experiencing? Well, first and primarily because that's what he deserves. He's worthy of that. Regardless of what is or isn't happening in our lives, God doesn't change, his nature doesn't change, and him being worthy of our honor and praise does not change. So one reason to give him thanks and to praise him when we're suffering is simply because that's what he is worthy of. But the second reason to do it, to put it simply, it's good for us. It is good for us to do it. When you give thanks, how do you tend to feel? It's not a sure question. Thankful. When you think about your blessings, how do you tend to feel? Blessed. If you'll do this, look for those blessings and give thanks for them and praise God for them, you will feel better. You will develop a better disposition. You'll lift your eyes off of yourself and your suffering and your circumstances to God or to heaven where our eyes should be in the first place. We'll stop feeling sorry for ourselves. And I don't mean feeling sorry for ourselves in a, in a condescending way. It's completely reasonable that when you're suffering, you do feel sorry, and that's all I mean, but you'll feel less sorry and you'll start feeling more thankful. Imagine something for a moment. Imagine two people who are going through the exact same trial. All the suffering, their, their bodies have wasted away identically to the exact same point and you have one person, and what he thinks about constantly is how much he's suffering. All he does is consider how terrible his circumstances are. He wants to spend his time looking around, thinking about how much better everyone else has it. And when God comes to mind, all he does is think about how unfair God is for allowing him to go through these trials. Now, how's that person going to feel? Consider someone else going through the same thing, and this person just thinks constantly about his blessings. He thinks about how God is using this in his life. He thinks about how God is using even his trial or his body wasting away in the lives of other people. I didn't ask James and Rachel about this, but it came to mind while I've been preaching. One of the things that I've really appreciated about them is they have regularly talked about how God has used Rachel's cancer in the lives of other people, not just in our country, but throughout the world. And that's not, a, and they've given thanks for that. That's not a particularly easy thing to give thanks for. It's not easy to say, oh, I'm really thankful that I'm suffering terribly, but God has used it in someone else's life. I mean, if someone says to you, I'm really, I've really been encouraged by your suffering, you almost think, 
well, I'm glad my suffering has encouraged you, but I, you know, I wish I wasn't suffering. But some people can look, like James and Rachel have done, and say, I know God is using this in other people's lives to encourage them, to challenge them. I, I know many of us have been challenged by what they've went through and how well they've handled it. So imagine people that are doing that. Imagine people who are thinking about the glory that's being brought to God because of what they're experiencing, or even thinking about the opportunity they have for their body to waste away, but for them to go through it in a way that gives glory to Christ. It's so easy to praise Christ and honor Him when we're doing well, when our bodies are doing well, but you take someone whose body is wasting away and they still praise the Lord and they have a much louder, much more amplified voice because of the credibility that their body or their suffering is giving to their message. I mean, when, people, when people's bodies are wasting away, but they can still give glory to God, it, it's tremendous. So you think of someone who's doing those things, thinking about all of those blessings, and they're going to feel completely different than the person who's only thinking about all that they're suffering. Now, earlier I mentioned Job's trials and everything that was taken away from him, and I want to ask you something. I was reflecting on this this past week. If you weren't familiar with Job's response, and you simply knew all the things that he lost, or even if I was to ask you, what do you think you would have to lose to be the closest to cursing God? I don't want to say you would curse God, but what would be the mo- what could be taken from your life, or what could you experience that would bring you the closest to cursing God? I can answer that question very easily. My children. I'd like to think God can take my life. I'm going to get older. And if I was to outlive Katie, I'll lose my wife. But that's the way that it goes. You lose your parents, then you die or you lose your spouse, but you outlive your children. There's not much worse than that not happening. So if I was to think about what would when I would be closest to cursing God, it would be if, I was, if my children were to be taken from me. And I thought about something with the book of Job that's interesting. On the first day, he did lose all of his children, and he didn't curse God. And then listen to what happened on the second day. Job 2, 3. The Lord said to Satan, the same thing he said the first day, Have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still, he still holds fast his integrity. In other words, he still hasn't cursed me, even though you've incited him to do so. And then Satan answered and said, listen to this, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But if you stretch out your hand and you touch his bone and his flesh, which is to say what? If you cause his body to waste away. Satan said, you can take his property, you can take his servants, you can take his home, you can take even his children. But as soon as you cause his body to waste away and he's forced to suffer physically, then he will curse you to your face. Isn't that interesting? It's as though Satan knew that there's something unique about chronic, terrible, physical pain. 
It's as though Satan knew that people are most likely to curse God when their bodies start wasting away, when they're suffering physically. Satan knows how miserable it is for us when our bodies are attacked like that. I mean, my heart goes out to people that have to experience something like this chronically. Now, as I said earlier, certain things are being taken away from us as we get older. All of us, as our bodies are wasting away, we're losing strength. We're losing some abilities. We're losing some comfort. Now, I spent so much time discussing working out. I know it didn't sound like the most spiritual thing, but I really had to discuss it so that you could understand that for me, bodybuilding was largely an idol. It was something that so much of my security was bound up in. And this isn't necessarily a commentary on working out. I think people should work out. Our bodies are the temples of God. We should take care of them, if for no other reason that we, that we can serve Him well. So it's not a commentary on working out, but for me, it was something where so much of my adult life, my security and my confidence literally was bound up in being physically fit and strong. And when I was lying in bed, I feel like God reached into my life and he took that from me. And why would he do that? Because God does not want my security or my confidence bound up in anything physical. He wants my security bound up in what Christ has done for me. And this brings us to lesson four. When our bodies waste away, lesson four, God wants to be our security. When our bodies waste away, lesson four, God wants to be our security. Now, I'm suspecting most of you have probably never been aspiring bodybuilders or wanted to, you know, go on stages or be in magazines or anything like that. But at the same time, I also suspect much of your security is bound up in your body. You don't have to be a bodybuilder to care greatly about your body and to be concerned when it starts breaking down. And so when your body starts wasting away, it seems like a real attack on what is most important to you because your body allows you to do all the things that you want to do. And so it can understandably be very difficult. And I want to encourage you with this truth. And in, in some, some respects, this is one of the most important things I've, I want to say in this sermon. I've largely built up to be able to say this because all of us are going to experience this wasting away. And when it does, I want you to understand that God is taking away something that you're putting security in. God is taking away something that you have put your confidence and your trust in. When your body starts to break down, God is removing something in a very wonderful way because he wants to be your security. He wants your confidence and trust to be in what Christ has done for you. When we put our security in something else, it is a blessing when God reaches into our lives and he removes that. It's almost like there's an idol, at least for me, it was an idol. Now, I don't know if I'll work out again. If I did, it definitely won't look like it used to. I feel the worst for my son, Ricky, who's been waiting years. I told him, I told Ricky up until recently that when he turned 13, I would go to the gym with him. Now, one of the reasons I stopped going to the gym was because I had a family and I couldn't legitimize that, you know, going to the gym sort of away from them. It seemed selfish and leaving them all at home. But I thought, hey, if my sons can come with me, that could be an amount of quality time with them. 
Well, when you, now it's like, I don't know what I would be able to do at the gym. So even if I could go back, it's definitely an idol that God reached into my life and he removed something that I was obsessed with. Now, I want to do something. I, I want you to take a moment. I know it's going to be quiet, and when we're listening to a sermon, a preacher is often talking. We don't spend a lot of time reflecting, but I want to ask you to do that. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to honestly consider what your security is in. I want you to consider what your confidence is in. I'm going to give you a little time to do this. You can do it prayerfully. In the privacy of your own heart, consider, what is my security in, Lord? What have I put my confidence in? Just go ahead and take a moment. You can even close your eyes and do that. Don't let it be awkward. Just consider, Lord, what is my confidence in? What is my security in? Maybe you have an answer for that, and this is what I want to say. You need to be ready for God to reach into your life and remove that. Whatever it is that your confidence or your security is in, you need to be ready for God to reach into your life and remove that. And when he does, you need to understand that it's a very gracious and wonderful thing that he is doing because he's preventing you from putting your security or confidence in something other than the work of Christ. And that is a blessing. Listen to this quote from J.C. Ryle, and I'll close with this. He says, Trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, and to send us to the Bible to drive us to our knees. And so consider that when your body wastes away, you're unable to do this, you're unable to do that, you're in this pain or you're in this suffering. God wants you to lift your eyes off of this life, which we can easily be very consumed with, to put our eyes on the heavenly and the eternal and to cause us to have our security and our confidence where we would get to such a point where it's like all we can just think about is what Christ has done because perhaps we feel like that's the only encouragement that we have. Father, we thank you for those difficult times in our lives and our bodies waste away because you're reminding us about what Christ has done and you're putting our confidence in it. And that's where it should be, our security and our trust. It shouldn't be in our, our bodies. It shouldn't be in how we're feeling physically. It shouldn't be in our health. All things that in a fallen and sinful world decay and perish. And as, as that happens to each of us, Lord, take our help. It's a reminder that this life is not our home. I pray that we would be like Abraham, as he's described, looking for that city whose foundation is, is heaven and whose, you are the builder of it, Lord. And so put our hearts and minds set there. We thank you for this, the way you work in our lives through, through the wasting away of our bodies. Help us to keep these truths in mind, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.